That's out. Oh, he's, he's, dropped it. It. he's dropped it. I don't believe it. That's unbelievable. He was throwing it up. He thought he had it. It was a little lollipop. And the man who did so well with the bat has taken his eye off the ball, and the ball has just dribbled out of his fingers. He was about to throw it up. Well, this could change the course of this match, that's for sure. Australia had barely caught their breath from the thrilling Steve Warren-inspired victory over South Africa when they headed to Birmingham to do it all again in the semi-final. It would be the scene of the greatest World Cup match of all time. Everyone can remember that game. If you weren't playing, people watching remembered where they were. Yeah, well, I was watching it in a hotel room. I was in England, but not at the game. And I can remember sitting in this hotel room um, watching the, you know, the to and fro of that game. Great crowd, sun was shining, uh, lots of support. It was a bit of a footy atmosphere, you know. It was a real, I think every backpacker that was in England at the time had made their way to the ground. Um, there was lots of uh, yeah, positive vibe from uh, everybody. It was going to be a good game of cricket. And just the ebb and flow of that game, it's, it's one of the great games. Um, you know, you sort of, there's plenty of great World Cup games, but um, yeah, that's got to rank probably number one. That's um, mm. right up there for sure. This is Edgbaston. It's the second semi-final. It's Australia versus South Africa, the match that decides who goes to meet Pakistan in the final of World Cup 99 that lords on Sunday. Perhaps still scarred from the loss to Australia four days earlier, South African captain Handy Cronier won the toss and opted for a different tactic, bowling first. It went against the desires of coach Bob Woolmer, who had first-hand experience of Edgbaston, having coached the local county side Warwickshire. According to Woolmer, five times teams had batted second and won at the ground in his tenure. Australia welcomed veteran Darren Lehman back into the side at the expense of Damien Martin, while the Proteas were boosted by the return of brilliant all-rounder Jacques Callas. The very first ball of the match set the tone for one of the most dramatic days cricket has seen. Adam Gilchrist on strike, two slips in place. In the air and just wide of uh, Hunsi Cronier at mid-on. So that ball uh, didn't come on. Adam Gilchrist seemed to be very early in playing the shot. In the air for uh, a long time. Fortunately for him, just wide of uh, mid-on. The South Africans, however, didn't have long to wait for their first scalp. That one came back at him. There's a big appeal. Did it hit the glove? He's gone. South Africa have struck. South Africa strike the first blow. Mark Wall, he's gone. Australia now three in their first wicket's gone. Well, a pretty good ball which nipped back and it wasn't easy batting conditions in that semi-final. The ball just did a bit. It was quite overcast when we went in the bat. Adam Gilchrist and a dashing young Ricky Ponting steadied after a nervy start to push the Australian score to 54. Ponting is off the mark. Oh, he loves them there. That could be six. He's hit it pretty well and uh, the young lad gets it on the first bounce. That'll uh, boost the confidence enormously. Fine leg is up, and Lance Clusen has got no chance of stopping that one. This may be uh, a fruitless search for a wicket, I think, trying to bounce out Ricky Ponting. Well, that's beautifully played on his toes. It's a short delivery. Pollock not happy with that one, but Ponting, well, he'd be very happy with a shot. It got a bit big. He's cut it away through the offside field, and it's gone for four. Oh, good shot. Beautifully tied. That's all the way. That's a big six. He's a lovely timer of the ball, Gilchrist, and a lovely straight hitter too. He's had a tough time in this World Cup, but that's the sort of shot we've seen him play so often. Once again, Ponting getting it away square on the leg side. He's, uh, he's certainly timing it nicely, and that one just short of the boundary. This time they get three. Then stepped up South Africa's talismanic spearhead. And unlike Australia, South Africa had persisted with Alan Donald as the first change bowler. And it was about to pay off. In the air, got him, first ball. He's got him, he's hit that one straight to extra cover. Kirsten takes the catch and that's a big blow. Ponting, well, that wasn't a very clever shot. First delivery to him, he's gone to drive it through the offside field and hit it straight to the fielder. That's better, got him, out caught behind, two wickets in the over, magnificently bowled that one, that's a much better line, Lehman out caught behind and now the Australians are in a very 
similar situation to the one that they were in up at Leeds just a few days ago. Three down. It wasn't long before the next Australian was in the sheds. Adam Gilchrist caught by Donald off the bowling of Callis. Australia's score was just 68. The top four batsmen were out and the innings was in danger of imploding. I think I got 20 off about 35 balls, yeah. but, um, but I just felt like I was getting some momentum yeah. um, in, in my game and, and thought, well, this is fantastic. This, is, yeah. this might be the game where I can to make an impact, but just cut short. Yeah, went for a cut shot and got a bit top edgish and caught it third man, so that was frustrating. <laughs> In the air, third man's under it. He's got him straight down his throat. That's a big wicket. Donald takes the catch. Gilchrist departs. Callis gets a wicket. Gilchrist out for 20. And South Africa on top at four for 68. Australian wickets tumbling. Adam Gilchrist doing well up to then. Enter Steve Waugh. Having rescued Australia from near certain defeat just four days earlier, the skipper would be called upon again to haul his side out of the fire. He would find help in the form of Australia's mercurial one-day specialist, Michael Bevan. But it wasn't easy going. Against a fired-up South African pace attack, the pair made just six runs in 8.4 overs. But while the scoreboard wasn't moving, War and Bevan were taking the heat out of the South African attack and ever so slowly wrestling back some momentum in Australia's direction. The recovery mission was helped by the stubborn and regimented game plan deployed by Cronier, who failed to press hard for the killer blow when Australia languished at four down. The tactic backfired as Australia began to find their groove. Cuts, cuts well, that's four. Beautifully played. It's backward point. Good start for Bevan. It's a good shot, then we go for four. Beautifully timed. Finished away, no slip. And that would have been a chance. Just a little short. Quickly on it, Michael Devon, and that's going to run away for four, and it brings the hundred up. Oh, we don't bother running for those. Might have been the slower ball, but it's treated with very little respect. Whipped away. And that's a bigger hit. That's nearer the middle of the bat. And that's six runs. Steve Waugh. Brave cricket, isn't it? It's 126 ball. Now that's what he was trying to do. This time, one bounce, four out. Edged safely, but ever so close to Daryl Cullinan. Cullinan stood just that little bit wide. It's always a guessing game when you've got the one man trying to cover that area. And it flew past his right hand. Great shots. Beautifully placed. That's another 15 for Steve Waugh. Nice way to get there, too. But with Australia threatening to launch an all-out attack, Sean Pollock struck twice in the space of four balls. And in the 39th over, Pollock had Steve Waugh caught behind and then Tom Moody trapped LBW three balls later to leave Australia reeling again at six for 158. That's got him. The edge goes through to Mark Boucher. The partnership is broken. And uh, Steve Wall is the man out. That's out. Got him. Tom Moody is gone. Little in-swinger from Sean Pollock. Well, Alan Donald got two wickets in and over, and Sean Pollock has repeated the dose here. Lovely off-cutter. Tom Moody is gone. Australia back in trouble now at 158 for six. The double strike left Australia precariously placed at six for 158. Shane Warne and Bevan then combined to push Australia past 200. But with four balls remaining in the innings, Pollock got his fifth victim and the Aussies were bundled out for 213. It was a below-par score against a strong Proteas batting lineup that less than a week earlier put 271 on the board against the same Australian attack. It's out. Yes, that's well bowled. Five for Pollock. South Africa has bowled out the Australians in the final over for 213. 
a wonderful bowling performance by Donald and Sean Polly. Yes, well, the South Africans that have come a long way to watch uh, their side in the semi-final will be very happy at the moment. I mean, we, we'd batted ordinary. Um, yes, it was an era uh, where, you know, sometimes 240, you know, was enough, but 213 wasn't enough in a World Cup game. In England, at Edgebass on a flat track, um, 213 was well under par. Just did a bit, it was quite overcast when we went in the bat, um, so it was tough work to get to 213, and then... You know, they looked in control throughout the innings. Australia were up against it. In the innings break, Shane Warne even told teammates he would never play international cricket again if they lost. And the early going did not augur well for the men in green and gold. 213 might not be enough. At the start of the day, we were thinking that 240-250 would be the right sort of requirement. Australia have fallen below that. But there is a lot of cricket left in this game yet. <laughs> Wide of second slip, and away to the boundary. Oh, lovely timing from Herschel Gibbs. Well, oh, that's a magnificent shot. She's played well off the back foot uh, on a couple of occasions already in this innings. 23 without loss. It's a good shot from Gary Kirsten. Very short boundary out there, and it runs away quickly. Fine shots again. Herschel Gibbs plays these shots, good backward movement, nice straight bat, and good timing. Just a bit of a times. Well, just a little bit overpitched by Paul Rifle. And again, Herschel Gibbs has just brought the bat down nice and gently. None for 40 odd. Uh, just not at not at breakneck speed, but certainly sort of three and a half, four and over-ish type. So on track. Oh, at that point, I thought oh, this is not looking good. They're going to pretty much cruise to this total, uh, and of course, enter Shane Warne. And Steve Ward desperately needs something different now. Always handy to have someone of the calibre of Shane Warne in your side. Having battled through the tournament, frustrated at his own form, and still struggling with the demons of his Test axing. The stage was set for Warren. All the questions over his shoulder and his longevity in the game would be answered, one way or another, in the space of his 10 overs. And with South Africa cruising at North for 43, chasing a modest total, it was now or never. Oh, beautiful ball. That's a wonderful delivery from Shane Warren. Clipping the top of off stump. That's absolutely exactly what the Australians needed. This is the perfect leg spinner. The end drift, it pitches outside leg stump and hits the top of, top of off. We thought this wicket might turn. It's certainly turning. An absolutely beautiful delivery by Shane Warne. Has the undoing of Herschel Gibbs for 30. South Africa lose their first wicket with a score of 48. Yeah, I'd, I'd say ball of the century. The Gatting ball probably dipped maybe six inches further. Yeah which makes it even more extraordinary. There's no doubt about it. It's one of the best deliveries ever bowled. But I, I think Warney delivered a lot of these type of deliveries that went unrewarded, so they went unnoticed. Yeah. But this particular one to Gibbs, um, again, on the occasion, what it meant, it opened the door for us, but it was a massive you know, dipping leg spinner that drifted probably two feet and then bites and spins back across. Um, I think as the ball hit the stumps, the top of off, I think my gloves, I think I realised it was spinning that far. My gloves were probably behind about middle. So if it missed off stump, it might have been four buys, but uh, probably would have spun the junior at slip. But um, yeah, it was, it was brilliant. And Warren wasn't done there. Um, well, two quick wickets for Australia, both to this man, Shane Warren. That is not a moment that Gary Kirsten will want to relive. Straight to slip. He's got in. Great little catch. Beautifully bowled by Shane Warne. This game is coming alive. Just when it seems South Africans have got off to a nice, gentle, steady start. Three wickets have tumbled. It's the Australians who are celebrating. Shane Warne has done it. We felt confident. Um, and then we're gone and gone and dusted. But I think that's where Shane Warne comes into his, to his own. I mean, he, he, was the, he was the bowler. He's the one that won that game. 
mean, there's no doubt about it, we're in trouble and gone, and all of a sudden he gets three big key wickets yeah. and turns the game. Warren was up and about, and, and South Africa were living, you know, they, they, were, they could really feel the pressure. That game against South Africa, I mean, that semi-final, you know, Warnie just took the game by the scruff of the neck. You know, we, we were going to lose that game for the first, what, 50, 60% of it. In the space of just nine balls, Shane Warne reminded the world why he was the greatest leg spinner to ever play the game. He claimed three wickets and single-handedly turned the game on its head when it appeared it was slipping away. Any doubts whether he could return to the top of world cricket were extinguished with three perfectly executed leg spinners. Shane Keith Warne was back and Australia were on top. And then all of a sudden, you know, South Africa come out and start whacking the ball around. They're none for 40-odd mm. and enter Shane Warne. And he just changed that game, totally. He continued to bowl with all that shape and dip and curve and swerve and spin for the whole innings, really. Just what an impact. And Warren's dogged determination was having an impact on the rest of the team as well. Australia's fielding, slammed by war as atrocious earlier in the tournament, was finally clicking into gear. Whoops, there's a chance. Berman hasn't got a strong arm. Everybody's gone! I think he's got him! Direct hit, he responded very slowly, and that's the wicket the Australian needed. I think he's gone. Cullinan has run out. Wow, that was poor cricket. Well, I'll tell you what, Bill, he's got himself to blame and no one else here. From there, however, South Africa began to fight back. From 4 for 61, Callis and Jonty Rhodes rallied with an 84 run stand, which swung the game back in their favour. Well, that's well played, straight down the ground. Is this going to go for four? Into the fence it goes. Nicely picked up. That's going to be one bounce across the ropes. That's cut away nicely. Wonderful paintings. That's nicked away. That's a good place to put it. Even Michael Bevan can't catch this. That one's cut away and it's got past him. It's another four. A desperate lunge down there once again by Fleming. But uh, he wasn't... Well, that's a big one. That'll go all the way, will it? I think it'll make it. Yes, just, that's a six. Full toss. And I just remember in the game, it was sort of ebbs and flows up, you know, highs and lows, and they got ahead, we got ahead, or it was just a tight game. In the rooms, we were just still confident. We were still talking about, well, it could be, if it's this, it's... Not that we had too much discussion. Who were you near, who were you near in the rooms? Do you remember? Oh, we were all oh, the guys that weren't playing. So myself, Mardo, BJ, and, um, and Shane Lee, and Swampy was there, and... Brute Bernard and Errol Orcott, so we're all hanging together. But there was still, at never any point did I sense we'd lost the game. At four for 145, with both batsmen set and the required rate a tick over seven runs per over, the game shifted yet again. Oh, he's hit that one. This could be out. There's a man underneath it. Yes, he's got him. Bevan's there. He doesn't drop him. That's a vital wicket. Bevan is coming off the boundary and he was coasting, I can tell you, he's so fast, he would have caught that 20 metres further in. The Australians have struck and now, will the pressure really build? With 43 overs down and the match in the balance, War turned to his champion leg spinner once again. But with just two overs remaining from Warren's allotted 10, had War left it too late? The answer appeared to be yes when Sean Pollock, strangely promoted above the devastating Lance Klusner, blocked out Warren's ninth over of the match. But with the fifth ball of his tenth, Warren struck another critical blow. That gap's closing up now. In the air, yeah! is out. Klusner's gone. Shane Warren has struck. Unbelievable scenes here. That is an unbelievable wicket. This now will put uh, a lot of pressure on the South Africans. Just when you think this game is changing and moving in the direction of one side, it moves back in the direction of the other. By the time Warren took his hat from the umpire at the completion of his 10 overs, he had claimed 4 for 29 and put Australia in command. And when Damien Fleming and Glenn McGrath struck soon after, Steve Waugh's side was within touching distance of the final. Over the wicket comes Fleming. Got him! That's the one they needed. The Yorker gets through Pollock. Wow, it's all happening. He's clean ball, good line, good length. That's the wicket they needed. Grass final over, the 49th. Charging it up the hill. Bowden! Knocked him over, middle stump. A duck ball and a wicket, it's 8 for 196. What a match, what a delivery. 
South Africa, however, still had a wild card in the form of Zulu, the brutal all-rounder Lance Klusner, who had bludgeoned the Australian attack with his three-pound bat in the Super 6 clash. 18 off 10. In the air. Safe. Knocked down by punting, but that brings Klusner on strike. McGrath versus Klusner. What a finish. With 10 balls remaining in the match, South Africa needed 16 runs to win, with one wicket in hand and Klusner on strike. Steve Waugh would later say it was the only moment of the entire game where he felt the Aussies were on top. The feeling didn't last long. Draw to Klusner. Full pitch, down the right he should catch this, should he? Oh, he drops it and it probably goes for four or six. This will be interesting. He got his hands to it, went over his head, did it go over the rope. This could be a six or a four. The drop catch, the over before, Paul Rifle. You know, that, that really changed the game because not only did he drop Klusner, it went for six as well. Yeah. And I thought, well, geez, we lost our chance there. South Africa still had enough momentum to get themselves out of the line. Mm. I think Steve was probably right, yeah. Um, 16 needed off 10. Yep. In in that era of cricket, yes, that was uh, always a hard ask. But um, these days, you know, you'd get it in a doddle. <laughs> but um, back then, it was it was hard work. But Klusner, you know, he was just a dangerous performer. A single off the last ball of the 49th over meant South Africa required nine to win. Crucially, Klusner was on strike with experienced fast bowler Alan Donald at the non-striker's end. The daunting responsibility for the final over would fall to Damien Fleming. So Flemo went round the wicket. Well, they need nine off six balls. Still thought I still thought, give him one, we'll get Donald out. So we're okay, we're okay. Well, it's amazing. We spoke about Klusner the night before at the team meeting for half an hour. How do we bowl him? Do we bowl wide jokers? Do we cramp him up? Do we bowl at him? Do we bowl short? And no one, we, we just couldn't work it out. Uh, I think the, someone said, where's the best place to bowl to Lance Klusner? I said the Nets. So... Uh, <laughs> You've got to be thinking about things and what's the pro, proactive scenario. So Stephen encouraged the bowlers to talk about it, talked to batters to talk about it. So within that discussion came a bit of a bowling plan um, and a batting plan. It might have just been be outside or stop. I can't remember how detailed yeah. it was, Tommy. But um, the bowling plans that we talked about was bowl full Yorkers, bit wide or straight. Flemo had great accuracy. Um, I think he attempted to execute them in the first couple of balls and they got whacked. We always felt that we could do that. I mean, even Flem going back uh, around the wicket, he started over the wicket. The other way around, started around and went over. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because we said full wide, that was the plan to Clouser. We've spoke for so long in team meetings with different philosophies and theories, but we ended up deciding at the death, at the closing overs, we'll go around the wicket and go wide Yorkers, trying to land the ball on the batting crease just inside the wide line. As is fashionable now. As is very fashionable now because Klusner was tending to open that front leg. One of the, you know, he was probably the early stages of players really doing it. It's every day now in T20, but opening the front leg and, and sort of we felt we could get him to have to reach and he wouldn't be able to get power in the stroke. The bowling plan, however, was quickly blown up with two crushing blows from Klusner's Duncan Fernley bat. Klusner. Crash, that could be four. That's hit like a rocket. That's four. What a shot by Lance Klusner, the crowd erupt. Five off five, Fleming the bowler around the wicket. Can he get a wicket for Australia? Hit it hard. There's Mark Wardham and he won't get it. That's their level. What kind of shot is that? That is unbelievable. Lance Klusner, is he going to do it again for South Africa? He's done it on so many occasions. The first two deliveries of this over gone. Bang, bang, 4-4. Four, four. Take that, scores a level. The first two balls were absolutely smoked through that offside. I haven't seen balls hit as hard as that, and I just thought the game was over. And when Klusner came out, it just everything hit the middle of the bat and then went for four. It was an interesting time, though. You know, Three balls in or two balls into that last over, he's belted fours, and it's like it's all over. Belted a couple of fours, didn't he, through the covers? He did. At, at great pace, and um, all of a sudden, we look like winning to... We're, we're going to lose for sure. And he hits the first ball, rockets for four. I thought, okay, that's all right. Give him one, we'll get Donald out. Next ball went twice as quick, and I thought it was all over after that. In the blink of an eye, South Africa had one foot and five toes in the final, and Australia's tournament, it was all but over. 
The Proteas needed one run to progress with four balls to score it. Australia needed a miracle. Fleming, having been belted for two boundaries off his first two deliveries of the over, calmly switched to over the wicket. It had the desired result. He speared in a Yorker, which Klusner could only dig out. A panicked Alan Donald inexplicably took off for a run, and Australia had their opening. It's gone for it. Miss hit. Does it get out? Oh, that would have been out. Donald was backing up, and that would have been a tie. Can you believe that? I cannot believe it. What is Alan Donald doing? Goodness me, surely Lance Clues has got to stay on strike. We thought then that that was it, we were done. We probably thought that was it, we are all over. That was our chance to win the World Cup. And you could see everyone's face, and certainly Darren Lehman missing that rain out, thinking that was probably our moment of um, Herschel Gibbs, you know, missing the World Cup. I mean, there's no way Bush should have missed that. There was no chance of a run there. Alan Donald backing up a long way down the crease, straight to mid-on. Darren Lehman, the fielder, and goodness me, that may have been the difference between a World Cup final berth or nothing. Then, of course, the run-out that Darren Lehman chanced to win the game. That was the third ball, and Alan Donald, I don't know what he was doing running. I thought, well, there's another chance gone. Three balls to go. Way Clusen's batting is just going to hit something. That, that to me, was probably it. Because the game slowed down, everyone looked at the sky. Alan Donald went, I reckon I've been saved. And to get another chance, you just go, what is going on? There's no way in the world we should have got another chance. South Africa survived by the smallest of margins, and Australia lamented what they thought was their only chance to snatch victory. Having dodged the bullet, now is the perfect opportunity for the South Africans to take a moment, calm themselves, and settle on a clear plan. But the batsmen did not talk, and no message ever came from the dressing room. Even after that first, well, the third ball, the first run-out opportunity, they didn't, I don't remember them getting together and and settling things down. It was all happening very quickly. It was just so dumb. I mean, they just panicked. And for whatever reason, two senior guys just did not explain what they needed to do. I don't reckon they knew what to do. Didn't even have anyone run out drinks or run out gloves or anything. Anything could have happened there. Why he would have felt he needed to run them when you've got a bloke there that's hitting, hitting them as well as anyone in the tournament. Like, surely he can't have stopped and really analysed it and thought, OK, I've got four balls here, I don't need to do anything. Lance, he'll hit one out of the park in a minute. That's what I thought. So he obviously panicked and didn't take the time, I guess, to settle. With the scores tied and the man of the tournament on strike, the stage was set for a hero. Well, I was a deep mid-off originally, obviously, yeah. and then came up when they hit two fours off the first two balls and everyone was in the circle. Um, so, yeah, and then... You sort of hope the ball, I mean, you want the ball to come to you, but at the end of the day, it's, it's very nerve-wracking. Yeah. You know, if the ball goes up in the air or you need to do a run-out, it's, you know, it's, the pressure's there. So I don't know who was more nervous, the bowler, all the fieldsmen, all the, all the two batsmen. I don't know, I'd say everybody was equally nervous. The plan was, we'd worked out, was to bowl wide, Yorkers at him. Just keep the ball away from him so he couldn't really get that power into the ball. But then, obviously, hit the two fours off, you know, sort of wide full balls early in the over, then back to plan B. Fleming, three balls remaining, Kuzner on strike. There it is, they go for this, will be out, surely. Ah, oh, it's out, it's going to be run out, oh, that's it. South Africa out, Donald didn't run. I cannot believe it. Australia go into the World Cup final. Ridiculous running with two balls to go. Donald didn't go, Kuzner come. What a disappointing end for South Africa. What a match for our viewers right around the world. Kuzner not out, 31. Donald's run out, Australia into the final. They decide to run next ball, goes to me. Don't have time, much time to think. It was sort of a, a, a ball that was hit um, with a bit of overspin, so it didn't come to me that quickly. So I sort of had to, you know, judge it a bit and move to the left. And then I, my natural reaction was just to flick it, you know, backhand, which I, I do a lot, you know. It's probably not a high percentage play, but to me it's just like a normal underarm. Just disappointed didn't hit the stump, so it would have been a... It just missed, so fortunately Flem, you know, was on the ball, picked it up, and then he 10-pinned it, bowled it down the pitch to, to Gillies. Mark War picks it up, little backhand flick, Flemo down to me, and it just felt like the ball 
was motionless. It felt like everything was not moving, except for Alan Donald, who was running towards me, but the ball got down there and uh, let the celebrations begin. Lance Kluzer couldn't get a good bat on it, mm. and um, fortunately, um, the ball <laughs> went to uh, Mark War. He's got great hands, and just the... What, what, what does he call it? The reverse panther yeah. or something? <laughs> uh, down and, did you, uh, you taught him that? You know, I, I wish I did, but uh, no, nah, he's a special fielder, that, that yep. man. So, um, yeah, I'm glad he was the guy that had the ball in his hand initially and then job done at the other end. Well, that is unbelievable, really. Alan Donald that time not backing up. Clues are looking for the single, and that is huge disappointment. They played themselves right back into it. An absolutely disastrous run out. Sees a tie. So South Africa are out of the World Cup. Alan Donald, who had taken four for 32 earlier in the day, dropped his bat and was run out for a diamond duck. And Gilchrist ran to collect a stump as a souvenir from the bowler's end as jubilation erupted. Making matters worse, had South Africa not lost to Zimbabwe 19 days earlier, a tie would have been enough for them to progress to the final. We didn't know what to do. We were just running everywhere, looking for someone to high-five. And um, it was just yeah, amazing. Yeah it's, probably the, yeah, it's definitely the best game of one-day cricket I've played. But if it was jubilation for the Aussies, it was utter despair for the South Africans. The interesting thing about the tie was we spent so much time talking about how Australia feels, but it completely broke the two South African, the South African pair who were there at the end, Alan Donald and Lance Klusner. When they retreated to the South African dressing room, they were just numb. They could barely talk. Alan Donald said it was like a bereavement that someone had actually passed away. And they went in different directions. Mm. Alan Donald watched it at least 50 times over the next few years, almost just craving for there to be a different outcome. He just, what was I thinking with the last run out? What should I have done? Should I have run? Should I have stayed? And Lance Klusner refuses to watch it and will never do so. He has suffered enough already. And yet when Klusner, I know when he's going through the streets of Durban, he could be at a, a shopping centre and people still mention it. It's extraordinary. Did they choke South Africa? Uh, you'd have to say so. I mean, I don't like the term because, you know, pressure's a funny thing and we, we all have had our moments under pressure and, and have performed not so well and have performed well. I mean, you just don't know on the day how it affects you. And, but I, I always hate the word choke because it just, you know, because I know what it's like when, when you've got that, that choking feeling. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's an unfortunate term. But, yeah, if, if that's the word you, you're going to use when you just... You lose a situation that you should win. Yeah. Um, if that's choking, okay. Yeah. Well, stuff it up, definitely. Because how do you, how do you lose a game with four balls to go and you still had plenty of time and Klusner... One strike. Uh, one strike. It's a harsh word, but it's hard to describe it in any other way. Look, world-class bowling generally gets its just desserts, but to go for none for 40-odd and, 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 and not not beat 2013, I, I felt that, yeah, if, if it's not a choke, I, I don't know what is. And it's a hard word to use yeah. because it's a, it's such a harsh word and they did their best and they did tie. They didn't even lose the game. Mm. But there was no doubt that a certain uh, tension came upon them. And, and that's World Cups for you. It, it happens in, in so many games. There was a, a very strong belief within our group that, Whenever, whatever battle we were going to get in with South Africa, uh, if we hung in long enough, we would always come out on top. And to me, that was a, and that was a belief that Stephen and Shane Warren, you know, really continued to reinforce to us as a group. So all players felt really comfortable. They don't come much closer than that. That is for sure. So a fantastic uh, Super Six game at Leeds, followed by a tie here at Edgebaston. It really has been an absorbing game and. A very, very sad ending for South Africa, particularly the way it ended. There were still two deliveries left in that over. And the reason why Australia go through is uh, the Super 6 table. They end up second and South Africa ended up third. To think you could defend a total of 213 after they were none for 48, I think, was just extraordinary. We shouldn't have won it well, the way, way we were, but Warney got us back into that and we always felt once we got it, on top at the end, pressure. We always felt the pressure on South Africa would beat them. Australia had turned around their disastrous start to the tournament with a side fractured amid drinking bans, curfews and poor results. 
That the incredible final moment of the match was inspired by a team bonding session earlier in the week was fitting. We went 10 pin by on the Julios and the Nerds and uh, it was terrific. Everyone got dressed up and... But again, that was representat- representative of where the team was at at the time. Everyone bought into the uh, bit of fun. Um, no one was too cool. I think the Julios had a uh, a bit of a mask on, like um, uh, an opera singer of some... I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, and then the nerds just looked daggy like we did, you know. And you were a nerd? Uh, uh, front and centre. Well, well, we always have the herds and the Julios. And, and we always do... And, and one of the good things with... Um, the team is we always said, okay, well, we've got to go out and do things together. We've got to either one go to the movies, go and see a play, which everyone probably hates, but you were forced to do it. Not everyone loved 10-pin bowling, but one of the great things on an Ashes tour and on that tour, all the tours I've been on, there have always been compulsory team things that we had to do. So that was, happened to be 10-pin bowling. Australia had qualified for their second consecutive World Cup final, and redemption was on their minds after the heartbreak of losing to Sri Lanka in 1996. The Aussies won a semi-final in 96 or 90 in the last World Cup. Might have beaten the West Indies, come from nowhere. And Steve, all the guys that have played in that had made reference to, hey, we celebrated probably a bit too hard that night, you know, and it impacted going forward. So uh, we kept their composure and moved on to the final. Their opponent would be Pakistan, the side that beat them in the group stage just weeks earlier. But this time, things were different. Australia was unbeaten in six games, were riding a wave of momentum and had their champion leg spinner back to his best. Once Australia got through those two games against uh, South Africa, there was just a sense of foreboding that the cup was theirs. It really was. And I think if South Africa had gone through, the cup would have been theirs as well because they had this astonishing record against uh, Pakistan, I think they'd beaten them in their last 13 outings. Mm. And Australia was very similar. Australia played a very uh, sort of, um, you know, uh, predictable sort of mechanical, but a very precise game that just sort of choked, shut down Pakistan and all their sort of maverick players. This is Lord, and this is the weather for the World Cup final in 1999. There is a risk of showers. We've had one already, but it will be getting brighter later on today. Fingers crossed we'll be having a full day's cricket in this most sensational of lineups. Australia taking on Pakistan at stake, the title of world champions for 1999. I think the confidence that uh, that, that side gained out of the game against South Africa, I mean, there were... There was no stopping them in that final. Well, once they that semi-final had finished, I, I just knew we were going to win the final. I didn't care who we were playing. Yeah. Uh, I just you could just see the momentum just shift uh, and just the feeling within that group uh, that they were going to get the job done, uh, whatever um, at Lords. The build-up, um, the excitement going to the game, you know, Lords. Uh, we were in the change rooms that the Australian team had always wanted, you know, had been in, it was the away change rooms. I think we had the choice to be in the other, but we chose to be in the away rooms. Um, uh, there was a, a real confidence, um, excitement, and the boys were ready to go. So they were really well drilled. I can remember interviewing Steve War uh, before the final, just after, and he had he was exhausted by the two close shaves against South Africa. As great a fighter as he was, he had a cold, which seemed like the flu, and he wasn't sleeping that much. And it was almost his body was saying, "I can't take much more of this," you know. And and I reckon, but he, but he got there in the end. I reckon we just were so confident going into that final. Don't forget, Australia lift when they play at Lords. Lords is a big ground for Australia. It's got a really really good record in Test cricket. So for us, we just felt that the that the scene was set for us. When play got underway after a short delay, Australia shot out of the blocks. Brilliant catch. What a sensational catch. Mark Ward, second slip. Oh, he's bowled in. Tremendous start here for Australia. And Fleming, who had an expensive previous over, with 14 coming from it. We've seen two today, one from Mark Moore and then from his brother. Each of them absolutely brilliant. 
With Pakistan flailing at 3 for 77, Australia sensed their moment to break the game open. And who else would they turn to? I suppose you could argue not quite as good as the one that knocked off Herschel Gibbs the other day, but that is an absolute cracker. I heard a noise, the Australians heard a noise, and he's out. Very well taken by Gilchrist. Moen Khan departs, and Pakistan are now in trouble. 91 for five, and when Shane Warne starts taking early wickets, it's often an ominous sign. Oh, he's, up, he's nodding. As soon as he starts nodding, it's bad news. And Pakistan now really on the rack. Well, there was no way Shahid Afridi was going to play any other game but to attack. And one who had really been trying everything finally got his man. Catch it! And he's gone again, and he's out! Oh, that is a real for the Australians. Wasim Atpan trying to go over the top. He hit it straight to Steve Waugh. He made absolutely no mistake. Fresh off his man of the match heroics in the semi-final, Warren was at it again, ripping out four Pakistani batsmen to finish with four for 33 from nine mesmerising overs. And when Ricky Ponting pulled off a sensational catch to remove Suckland Mushtaq off the bowling of Glenn McGrath, Pakistan were all out for a paltry 132. It was now Australia's turn to bat, and while the required total was low, Pakistan had an ace in the pack. Shoaib Akhtar had been terrorising batsmen all over the world with his sheer pace, and if anyone was capable of blasting out early wickets, it was him. And he had his sights set on a struggling, low on confidence, Adam Gilchrist. Oh, mate, I remember him running in, thinking, geez, that's a big run-up. <laughs> Uh, and thinking, don't hook, don't hook, don't hook, and he bowled me a bounce, and I tried to hook it, and got gloved, and fine leg was asleep. So he runs into Gilchrist. Just short. That's on my mood as the man coming in. I suspect he didn't quite pick it up straight away, but that's the sort of stroke Shoaib Akhtar will induce. We thought they'd come out steaming in because you know the only chance was to knock two or three of us over or four over really early. But they they bowled well for a couple of overs, and you know it sort of was you know pretty much one-way traffic after that. To no ball, and it's played beautifully by Gilchrist. That's when he's at his best. He's able to play off the front foot. Australia raced to 75 inside the first 10 overs to break the spirit of the Pakistanis. The losses of Mark Waugh and Ricky Ponting did little to slow their charge to the title as Gilchrist rediscovered his form to belt a blistering 54 off 36 deliveries. With the result beyond doubt, all that was left for the winning runs to be hit. Four runs to win. And that's it. 133 for two. 179 balls to spare for the Australians. Good innings from Mark Waugh, a blazing one from Adam Gilchrist. Shane Warne's second straight four wicket haul earned him a second straight man of the match award. And the man who appeared a shell of himself earlier in the tournament had delivered on the biggest stage when Australia needed him most. 
Shane Warne proved his toughness when he was operated on for his injured shoulder the year before. I know the surgeons, when they cut him open, said, my goodness me, how has this guy been bowling? It was the single most underrated trait of Shane Warne was his toughness. His mother, Bridget, is of German origin, and I always felt that Warren had the fabric of a lot of Germans, really tough sportsmen in him. We, we think he's a quintessential Aussie, won't he? But he's got European heritage, and it's good, strong stock, and, and that's, what, that's, that's who he is. Steve, congratulations. You must be a very proud man. Yeah, I'm very proud. It was a great performance. We saved our best for last. Um, I wasn't quite sure whether we could pick ourselves up after those last two games, but all the guys dug deep. We... we executed the plan magnificently and uh, all the guys really wanted it today. Was there some time during the tournament where you thought uh, you were destined to win it, the way things went? Well, we had to do a tough all the way. I guess um, the semi-final was, was probably the defining moment when we got out of that game and things, I guess, uh, did go in your favour and that was probably one of those moments. And But you still got to make it happen and uh, the way we played today was just great. With the tournament won, it was finally time for the Australians to let their hair down. There would be no drinking ban and curfew this night. We had to get the beverage reinforcements into the Lord's Change Rooms. None other than the late, great Bob Hawke was in there taxing the sponsor's product. So we had to get other drinks in. So, uh, no, that was amazing. Um, yeah, it was jam-packed change room, uh, long and hard into the night, all night. Flew out the next day, celebrated old school all the way on the flight on the way home and then had a ticker tape parade in Melbourne that just kept going on and on. It seemed like they were never going to stop the celebrations. It's a shame they did. Uh, long, um, with lots of smiles and lots of fun. Uh, it was great. It was a who's who in the rooms. Bob Hawke and others came in. And uh, as, a, as a young man with uh, not as much experience as the other guys in that environment, it was great to watch and be a part of. And we had a great time. It was uh, really uh, it was a moment in history and cricket. It was great to be a part of. I don't even remember I went to sleep. I remember getting on the Emirates flight, I think it was. The next uh, morning we flew to Melbourne. Yeah, it was just, it was a big party at the ground. Uh, we sang the song out in the middle. Even JL was there. He snuck into the singing there. JL was playing for Middlesex, I think he was. Yeah. Um, we went back to the hotel and there was a party at the hotel. Just All night. kept going. I remember even like getting up in the morning still having my playing gear on. Yeah, really good, yeah. Obviously at the dressing room and all our families were there and you know, when you look down, when you're standing up on the balcony down with all the support there, it's, it's amazing, yeah. The joyful thing about the final was when Australia set out on the marathon journey to the final months and months before it, Jeff Marsh, the coach, grabbed an old piece of cardboard and he just called it the Road to Lords and he wrote down every one day a test match and game and crossed it off as they went and the last one was going to be the World Cup final. And uh, I remember spotting him on the balcony with a piece of cardboard in his hand when everyone had gone home and he was just filling out the last details of the last match. And I thought, there's a priceless piece of memorabilia. But while the Australians celebrated an incredible victory, the War Twins were dealing with a family tragedy that had unfolded during the tournament, the passing away of their grandfather. Yeah, a bit distressing, obviously. And I mean, he's lasted to watch the game, which was amazing, really, yeah. I mean, he had a great innings. He was, you know, nearly 90, so he loved his sport. He, he would have been um, wishing us the best, I, I guess. And, uh, yeah, it was difficult to play um, with that at the back of your mind, but once you get out there, you just got to focus. And then, obviously, after the, the game, we, we sort of got the news. The legacy of the 1999 World Cup lives on today. It was epitomised by Steve Waugh's toughness, Mark Waugh's calmness, and Shane Warne's pure match-winning brilliance. Australia went unbeaten through the 2003 and 2007 World Cups, and one on home soil in 2015. But 1999 set the scene. I think the fact that Australia only had one player in that uh, World Eleven chosen after the World Cup shows why they won the World Cup, because it was a case of a different hero every day. Ponting, uh, you know, came up and, and did some, you know, some good things. Then he'd hand the baton to Gilchrist, and it'd be Warren, it'd be McGrath, Mark War. They just had such a beautifully balanced team. They they weren't relying on one star, and, and, and that's the only way they got there because they just had to scrap and scrape and put on the elbow grease to win those seven games or remain undefeated, should I say, in those seven games. But I think they were 
they took a while to find themselves. They won despite an early fracture in the team. But they proved why Australian teams are great, and that is they have the ability to, when they get on the field, to just forget about all the personal tension and just play. They're all very different beasts. Uh, that one, the drama of that one, and you know, losing games and being having to fight and scrap to stay in the tournament compared to 2003 was, we didn't lose a game, but it felt like we had a few more really tough arm wrestles and some few really close calls. And obviously we lost you know, our best bowler, or one of the best bowlers ever, just on the eve of the tournament. In the West Indies, I reckon we crushed everyone. We were such a, we were just steamrolling along and it, it felt, yeah, I don't, I don't remember going, ever going, oh, we've got this one before a ball's bowl, but it just had this unbelievable confidence and aura around the team that, that saw us close that one out. It's like uh, Brooks Kepka will probably find majors a little easier to win uh, in a few years' time because he's already won four of them. Whereas the guys struggling to break the drought, you see it in their faces. They're such tortured figures. And Australia, after that World Cup win in England, had a bit of a swagger about it. We're the team that can come back from anywhere. We can beat anyone, you know. And they 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 warded a badge of honour. The ability, we've got the magic man Shane Warne. Have you seen him? And and, and it just it intimidated other teams. That World Cup shaped the mindset of Australian cricket as much as any Ashes series. I think it's it's just, it, it's there as a golden stud, the team who, who came back from nowhere to do the highly improbable. It was the Miracle of 99. The Miracle of 99 is brought to you by Fox Cricket. Reporting and narration by senior journalist Tom Morris and produced by Brenton Cherry and Jonathan Bahume. For more content, visit foxsports.com.au.